Welcome to Bridging the Potential, Intergenerational Conversations That Change the World. This is Alyssa Noel Quello, founding member of Living the Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. I have connected with Dimple Debalia, who is, amongst many things, a leadership and mindful performance coach and founder of Roots in the Clouds. I think you'll enjoy our conversation about learning to orchestrate change within oneself as well as out in the world, to be open to exploring unknowns, and to stay socially connected as a leader. If you're a humanitarian determined to elevate humanity out there and protect the humanity within, you will love this episode. Hello, this is Renee Beth Poindexter, founder of Living the Potential Network and your host for today. As I wrote the book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World, I set out to find ways to create spaces where people could actually hear what the youth have to say. And that's what this podcast is all about. I love these conversations. After listening to a youth's dreams and concerns, we connect them with a mentor or an elder who has experience and wisdom to share and who's open to learning and receiving the innovative spirit of the youth. It's reciprocal learning at its best. I always leave these conversations feeling inspired and I think you will too. Today, I have two very special guests. Our mentor is Dimple Zapalia. She's the founder of Roots in the Clouds and a leadership and mindful performance coach with over a 20 plus year history of working at the crossroads of, get this, crossroads of the government and humanitarian sectors with a focus on asylum and refugee-related policies and operations, and plus organizational well-being. She likes to say she wants to put the human back into humanitarian. So we're very excited to have Dimple with us. And the youth that I have with us today is Alyssa Cohello. And Alyssa was a recent college graduate with a degree in Sociocultural Anthropology, that's a mouthful. Sociocultural Anthropology from the University of California, San Diego. She's also an author and a small business owner and get this, at her young age, a founder of the Lionheart Creations Foundation. So these two amazing women are the guests today and we're gonna start off with Dimple. Dimple, we're so excited to have you with us. I'm wondering if we could spend a few minutes with you telling us a little bit about you and your story. It's quite yeah. amazing. You live in Washington, DC and you've got quite a rich background and I could probably weave in some questions, but let's just start with your story as how you wanna say it to begin with. Um, sure, uh, just to clarify, am I talking kind of more my, um, like my career path story? Sure, sure. you know, because this, we're talking with, with Alyssa and her, story a recent college graduate and where she's going with her life so great yeah you. thank you first, so first of all thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here and I adore Alyssa so I'm glad I have this opportunity to engage this way um I have had an extraordinary career like I'm I'm so incredibly grateful and I actually started out um out of law school at the attorney general's office in Denver and um, I worked for a unit that um, represented the State Department of Human Services. So we did a lot of work on uh, defending the child abuse um, registry, the state's the state central registry on child abuse and neglect. Um, it was a great job. I had an amazing group of people that I worked with. Um, and so I worked there for a couple of years and uh, ended up moving to California. And in California, I started out at a small private practice and realized very quickly that that was not a good fit for me. I, I think I'm very much built for public service. And so um, I started looking for other jobs and I just was, um, 
I knew I wanted to work kind of in the arena of human rights, but I wasn't entirely sure what. Um, and the more that I searched, I ended up one day just coming across a job posting for an asylum officer position. And as I read through the position, it was my dream job on paper. It was, um, you know, I'd have the opportunity to interview asylum seekers. I would get to read human rights reports and research human rights um, things that were like violations that were happening around the world, which oddly enough, I was already kind of doing on my own just because I was fascinated by the topic. Um, and, and then I'd get to adjudicate these cases. And so I applied uh, certain that I was not gonna get this job because I didn't really have a background in this area. And back then, and so I left work, I went home and spent about seven hours on the application. And it was the very last day of the posting. And I ended up submitting the, um, the application at like 1158. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, and then like three or four months went by, I heard nothing. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, about four months later, I got a call out of the blue and they wanted to offer me the job. And what they said was that they were actually looking for attorneys because attorneys had the skill sets that they thought would make for good adjudicators. So I started my job at the Los Angeles Asylum Office and it was incredible. And to this day, the work that I did out in the field, um, nothing has compared. I've, I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things, but uh, being able to sit face to face with someone and bear witness to their story is incredibly powerful. And so I worked there for a couple of years and then I ended up moving up to the Bay Area to the asylum office up there and um, doing the same kind of work. And about a few months after I got there, <clears throat> my director came and said, hey, you know, we've got this opportunity to send a couple people um, out to do some refugee processing in East Africa. You know, would you be interested in going? I said, yes, absolutely. And I have a particular um, kind of connection to East Africa because my mom was actually born and raised in Uganda. And, um, and so the thought of actually, I was, I was actually gonna be going to Kenya and Ethiopia, but the thought of kind of being in that region and, and getting to see some of what she would have experienced was actually really um, uh, special to me. And so, I went out uh, to East Africa <laughs> um, and it was just a, a life-changing experience because I had the opportunity to interview refugees, um, you know, right there. It's a, a lot of them urban right there in the camps. But then when we went to Ethiopia, we actually went out into the countryside and, um, and it was incredible. It was just incredible to sit down with people and, you know, hear their stories um, and, and know that, you know, people are leaving everything behind um, for you know, their own safety, the safety of their children, um, but also out of a desire to create a better life, right? And so um, had the opportunity to do that, came back uh, from East Africa, was home for a few months, and then was offered a chance to go to Thailand um, to work along the Thai-Burma wow. border. Um, so I did that for a few months, um, came back, and then I ended up getting picked up to go to headquarters in DC. And so DC was another place that had a really special place in my heart. Um, I had always wanted to live here and it just worked out that I was going to get to move to Washington. And uh, I came up here and had a lot of kind of preconceptions about not wanting to do certain things and only wanting to do certain things. And the first day of work, my boss said, I know, that you have mentioned that you didn't want to do this particular work. And I was just horrified because I didn't know who had told her that. <laughs> but um, she really sold it. She said, I just, I think this portfolio is going to be amazing and you'll be amazing at it. And I said, okay, I, I'll do anything. I'm happy to be here. And it turned out to be just such a gift because um, it, it opened up a lot of doors that I had not expected. Mm -hmm. um, and that I wouldn't have even known to expect really. And um, so through that experience, I ended up getting into a leadership program. And so part of that was I had to create some uh, kind of detail opportunities for myself to apply some leadership skills. And so I ended up going to Geneva um, to uh, work at the Intergovernmental Consultations on Migration, Asylum and Refugees. And so and they're called the IGC. And it's a, a group of countries that come together, they're, you know, they they uh, kind of work on different topics related to migration and asylum and refugees, 
nothing is binding, but it's really trying to learn best practices. Um, and so I was actually there to do a project on information sharing. And, um, and so that ended up being an incredible experience as well. Uh, came back from there and um, was offered a job in Greece, um, working in our immigration office there. So packed up all my things, moved to Greece uh, for about three years. And it was just uh, incredible, like the work out there. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to continue going out to do refugee work. Um, and so it was interesting because um, at that point I had been doing this job for about seven years. And in that time, for the most part, I had been interviewing people the whole time, uh, except for the little bit at headquarters. And I ended up on a trip out to Zambia. And it was one of the most difficult trips I'd ever been on. Uh, we were interviewing um, the last of the Rwandan uh, 94 genocide survivors. Oh. We were, yeah, we were interviewing um, Congolese applicants and we were interviewing what are known as protracted Burundians. And so these are people from Burundi who were in refugee camps um, and then their camps were subsequently attacked. So these were people who were, had been born into refugee camps. Um, and now, so they were already refugees there and then the camps were subsequently attacked or they were subsequently attacked. So now they're kind of refugees twice. And um, some of the saddest stories I've ever heard and in the Congo in particular, you know, rape was a real tool of war. And so uh, pretty much every interview we were doing had some element and it was really, it was tough. And it was the first time in seven years that I started to notice that I was really having trouble sleeping if I did fall asleep, I was having really terrible nightmares. Um, and I really had taken pride up until then at being able to do this work very objectively. Mm. And I found myself in these interviews really struggling to maintain my emotions. And, um, and so I knew that something didn't feel right. And <clears throat> I, uh, you know, 10 years earlier when I had been working at the attorney general's office, my boss, always used to make our unit do a, um, a vicarious trauma training or workshop. And at the time I was a young, a new young attorney and I was like, I don't need this, I'm fine, I'm good. You know, I don't know why we need to do this. But it really planted a seed for me that took 10 years to come to fruition. Um, but I realized, you know, um, in, as I came back from Zambia that, you know, I think this is what I'm experiencing is some secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. Um, but it was not something that you really talk about, especially in the government. Um, you know, we don't talk about mental health and there's a lot of stigma everywhere related to mental health. But um, so I really just started to do my own research, try to figure out, you know, what can I do for myself? Found some stuff on mindfulness and, and things like that. Um, but after a little while, I started thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, if I'm experiencing this, I'm, I'm betting there's other people in my, you know, in my field who are also experiencing similar issues. Um, and so when I went back to DC after my tour in Greece, um, I ended up in a position where um, I was able to stand up a new branch. And the branch um, consisted of what we call desk officers. So they're the people who prepare our teams to go overseas. Um, and so in this position, the desk officers had always kind of done these trainings and stuff. And so we set about to kind of create a new um, pre-departure briefing to really um, create some standardization across all the different regions of the world that were being covered. And so I kind of collaborated with the team to see like, what's the baseline of information you would want to make sure that every team going out has. Um, and then the one thing I added to it, though, is I said, okay, that's fine. Like all the baseline you guys have come up with is fine. But the one thing I want to make sure we're doing is that we add in a, a module on self-care and trauma to really help people understand that this is a very real occupational stressor um, that we can experience. And we don't want to, um, we want to start normalizing this. We want to start taking some of the stigma away. Um, and so we did that. And um, then about a year later, I got picked up to go to New Delhi as the field office director. So I went back overseas and it was the height of the refugee crisis. So this was in like 2015. 
And um, so with the teams that I was leading, I would do these modules for them as well to make sure that they understood like, you look, you know, you may experience this, this is what you're looking for. This is what you look for in each other. We wanna take care of each other. Hmm. Um, but what I found was I wasn't really walking my own talk. And within a few months of getting there, um, I mean, I was traveling all the time. I was working all the time and I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I ended up getting really sick and um, I just wasn't getting better. And so about a year, just under a year later, I came home for Thanksgiving and went to see my doctor. And he said, you know, your stress levels are resulting in your body starting to attack itself. So, wow. you know, you need to come home. And I was just, it should have been a no brainer, but I was really torn. And I said, you know, I, I just took this job. Like it's barely been a year. I can't just come home. And he said, well, you come home now, or maybe you don't come home. And that was a real eye opener for me. And so, you know, my, my leadership was very supportive and they, um, you know, let me make the choice for however I wanted to do this. And so I did end up curtailing and coming home, um, which left me with a lot of feelings of kind of shame. I hadn't ever left a job before in that way. And, um, and they, you know, they kept telling me it's fine. Like, we're, we're glad that you're okay. We're glad to have you back. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back, I ended up in the role as a senior advisor to the directorate. And in that position, um, I had kind of a platform and I was able to really advocate that, you know, we need to have a formalized program that really um, focuses on the health and well-being of our staff because the work that we do is really hard and we don't talk about it and people just kind of internalize things and right. and that's not healthy, right? And so, um, so, so it was like you coming home, you were able to um, really develop that calling that was yours because by that time, you had already lived and worked in over 40 countries, yeah. right? And then you had a perspective of human suffering that many people don't have, right? Because they're in short stints, but you were yeah. there in many places seeing a common denominator around human suffering and then the immigration issues and asylum and what's going on in this country. Mm -hmm. And now you're back. Now, when, when you say you came home, did, did that mean you came home to Washington, D.C.? I did. Yeah. Okay. So and what a perfect place to create a new platform mm -hmm. to what you say, put the human back into humanitarian work. That was the new platform that you were bringing forward? Well, not entirely in the government. That was actually something that I had started working on before I actually came back here because I really do feel called that I... I'm meant to like help the larger humanitarian community with this. Um, and so I feel like I have a little microcosm in which to, to kind of bring this out now. Um, but really um, that was something that I had really started kind of thinking about. Um, but yeah, to, to a degree, I guess that is kind of what I've been doing here too, though, is really trying to bring that human centered approach back into our workplace to really focus on our workforce so that, you know, the applicants we serve are incredibly important, but we can't serve them effectively if we're not right. taking care of ourselves. So in a way, when you came home to take care of yourself, because if you didn't, you might not have been able to come home ever. So you did, and something else emerged that has something to do with you establishing credibility of bringing like the whole body well-being into the service of caregivers who are in big humanitarian work. And I'm wondering, is that anywhere connected to the Treasury Executive Institute where you are, you know, you're combining some ways of um, some integral components that would normally be seen as separate, but you're integrating them in a way that's now receiving some acceptance. Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, <clears throat> I'm actually a coach through the Treasury Executive Institute. Um, which has been an incredible experience. So I have the opportunity to coach a lot of leaders across the government um, through that. Um, but one of the things when I did come back, in addition to actually standing up that um, kind of resilience and well-being program, was I launched a leadership training um, called the Daring Leaders Project. And it's kind of the first of its kind leadership program that really focuses, it's got a foundation of uh, mindfulness and positive psychology. 
And so I was able to partner with Treasury Executive Institute on that to make sure that every member of our cohort um, was partnered with a coach so that they could have that experience of being coached through over the course of the, like this program was nine months. So over the course of nine months, um, the focus was really on developing the self because we can't really lead others if we don't know ourselves first. And so the whole program, you know, most, most government leadership programs or leadership programs in general is all about how do you manage teams and how do you like create those relationships? And, and all of that is incredibly important. But if we don't really fundamentally know ourselves first, um, it makes it really hard to show up authentically. And really we know that showing up authentically is what really allows you to connect with other people. And that sense of connection that people feel is what creates that sense of belonging um, ultimately, so. Well, I think all of this is exactly why Alyssa chose to be with you today. <laughs> so I'd like to bring Alyssa Cohello in. Alyssa, would you tell people your age and um, a little bit about yourself? Um, and then we can launch into your dialogue with your one of your favorite mentors, Dimple. Go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for having me here. I am so excited to have this conversation with Dimple. Um, a little bit about myself. I, my sort of journey started when I went to um, junior college. I, I think um, I, I went there with the intention to have to go get um, a law degree or uh, either law or criminal justice, you know, and then just a lot of unexpected twists and turns. And I realized that all of my um, interests and enjoyment was all in the multicultural courses. Everything um, fascinated me there. So I went that, that route. I got my general ed done. I took a year off school to travel. And then I, um, in that year off, I had started my own business supporting entrepreneurs who were launching their businesses and projects into the world. And that's when I first met Dimple and um, was able to support her business, which was really awesome. And then I went to UC San Diego and I had shifted trajectories at that point and decided to get my degree in sociocultural anthropology. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there and studying. It was, it was awesome. And since graduating last year, I have started the Lionheart Creations Foundation uh, based on similar travel experiences. Um, and that inspired me to try to figure out how to, where, where I could find my footing to start um, creating those ripple changes in the world. Right. Well, it's like, again, you're what, 23? Is that right? 24? 25. <laughs> oh, 25. Okay. But it's a lot to have accomplished. It's 23 when I met you. Yeah. Okay. So it's so wonderful to have you on the Youth Advisory Council as a founding member. And this concept of choosing a mentor, and there's something about Dimple's story. It's like when you introduced me to her and I knew we were going to do this show, I could say, wow, you've known her for a while. She's been an influence for you and where you want to go. I mean, how many... 24, 25 year olds, 23 year olds start, you know, a nonprofit foundation to help children in Africa. You know, that was a brave thing that you took on. So you have courage and capacity and you have a future that you have that humanitarian spirit. So what questions do you have um, for Dimple today that we could deepen, you know, your journey, questions that you have about decisions you need to make or more story Dimple from Dimple that might help you. Yeah, thank you for that. I am. Yeah, it's not just one thing about her story. It's everything about her. Oh, story. I know. It's a amazing. lot of things yeah. that I didn't realize until, um, you know, our prep for this conversation, because I, our paths had crossed uh, several years ago when um, I was supporting her business, which at the time, um, she was launching that business to support humanitarians who were going out into the world and uh, offer coaching and um, wellness help support and everything. And I was just a college student who hadn't traveled yet, who hadn't experienced the world, who had no idea that I actually wanted to be in some sort of public service. Um, but it was that sort of, so I didn't even understand the gravity of the mission that I was supporting until I, I went out and started traveling and, and endeavoring in those things. And um, gosh, I have so many 
so many questions, so many similarities um, in experience. I, I think one thing that really blows my mind about your journey is that you went to law school probably with a very specific vision of what was going to happen or what was going to be of your life. And you didn't just have one twist and turn after that. It was a ton that involved you uprooting your life in so many areas and throwing yourself into, you know, the unknown. Like you really only have so much stability, even when you're going through, um, you know, a, a government funded program or something where it's supposed to be super stable, but you're being thrown into another country with just so many factors. And I'm really curious how you navigated that or like consciously at the time, how you chose to, and looking back when, when you see, um, you know, your some, some strong spots and some weaker spots, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Yeah, I counted at one point that I had moved nine times in 10 years or something like that. Like it was a crazy number of times. Um, and it's funny, I never really thought anything of it because um, that was kind of my nature to want to like be out in the world, you know, and I really loved connecting with people. Um, I think one thing I've really learned over that though is that uh, this is what life is like. And so to your point, like I did come out of law school thinking like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna practice, well, I wanted to do kind of policy work. Like that was my intent. Um, I didn't really want to practice law per se. Um, but I think, you know, part of just like going through that journey is being open to what comes your way. Because like I said, you know, the, the job that I ended up taking in Washington opened up things that I didn't even, I would not have even thought to consider as something that might be interesting or that might lead me down another path. Um, and so, uh, just being open and seeing kind of what pops up for you. If you're in a position where you can say yes, um, what I have learned is that saying yes is never a bad thing. <laughs> like you will learn something at each place and nothing's permanent, right? Like we can always change something that doesn't feel like it's working. In terms of how I kind of approached those moves, I mean, it was different for, you know, for the shorter, you know, um, trips that I was taking out. Um, I really, you know, for me, like I've always really enjoyed immersing myself wherever I'm at. So I really took advantage of being in these different locations, getting out and exploring, getting to know local people. Um, food is a big, big piece of it for me. So really enjoying the food, savoring the food. Um, and so on the shorter trips, that was fine. I remember my mom asking me once, she's like, don't you like, don't you get sick of living out of suitcases and just, you know, don't you want to like establish roots? And um, that's actually what led to the name of my business, Roots in the Clouds, was this idea that we don't have to be in one place to feel rooted. And so again, you know, I, I keep coming back to this topic of belonging, but this idea of being able to connect authentically with people, no matter where you are, like that's for me, what starts to create roots, right? That's what connects that, or creates that connection, creates that sense that I belong in this world. I belong with these people. And so that always worked pretty well in Greece. You know, I was actually living there. And so that was a different experience because now all of a sudden, like I had a home there and I had like friends and I had such an incredible um, social network. And so, um, and what I loved about my building was I lived pretty close to the embassy and I had a beautiful apartment and um, with this massive balcony. And so in any given night, somebody would be knocking at my door and saying, well, what are you up to? And so I'd be cooking all the time and like, you know, we'd be having wine out on the patio and it was, it was lovely. And it was just, there was such a sense of community. Um, by the time I got to New Delhi, that was a very different um, feeling for me because like I said, the work was, um, it was nonstop and, uh, and I was in a different role. So this time I was there as uh, a member of leadership. And so in my mind, I had this thing where like, I was thinking, well, I have to create kind of a wall. Like I have to, I have to be the leader and I can't like really get too close to my people or things like that. Like, you know, to socialize and things like that, we have to be professional, blah, blah, blah. But what I found was in New Delhi, because I was traveling all the time and um, I wasn't there very much, I didn't have much of a social connection. 
And that was really devastating for me because, um, you know, as human beings, we need that very much so. And so when I started to struggle and I wasn't feeling well, it really exacerbated things because I didn't really feel like I had that sense of connection to where I was at. Um, and then the other piece, just looking back in terms of your question about like, you know, what might have I done kind of differently or um, I think, you know, two things, number one, I, I probably would have paid a little more attention um, if I had to do it differently now, uh, those social connections would be something I would definitely build up. And I think what I've learned in my own leadership is that I don't have to create those walls with the people that I work with. You know, I can um, still be professional, but still be connected to them in some way. Um, but the other piece of this that I'm really learning, um, you know, so my mom passed away unexpectedly in 2019, and that was really devastating for me. Um, but, you know, as I'm kind of working through the grief and kind of coming out through this like post-traumatic growth on the other side is, is really, you know, looking at like, what are my priorities in life and what's really important? And I don't want work to be everything. I don't want work to be the thing that defines me and that defines my life. And so that would be the other thing that I'd, I'd probably change a little bit is that, you know, I think I would broaden my perspective about the need to be in the office all the time, the need to just be working all the time um, and really try to focus more on, again, cultivating those connections and, and establishing some balance um, so that I could take care of myself too. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah, I'm. So a few points here. Uh, the one of the things you mentioned about just saying yes to opportunity. I I feel like I have been positioned in a in a really fortunate place with a lot of people and resources who have always encouraged me to continue to say yes. And having done that since I was twenty has has like. I've, I've gotten some really great, rich experiences and have been able to achieve a lot of things, but I feel this shift now at 25 where I'm ha I, I have to say no. I have to figure out which ones to say no to. And I mean, you've said yes to so many things to get to all the places you went to. I'm really curious how you... Um, how you navigated the no's, because I'm sure there were doors that you had to close and things you had to say no to to really um, refine your yeses. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. Um, you know, you, you do start to create, a, like you have a sense of discernment that starts to show up. And um, I'm really uh, a big proponent of, of listening to my gut more. Um, I wish that I had, I like, I wish I could tell my younger self that, you know, like, just listen to your gut. Um, because I think, you know, you will find stuff that really resonates. And when it really resonates, if you're in the position to say yes, like, just do it. Like, what's, you know, what's the worst that'll happen? Because I think oftentimes we get kind of stuck in this place of fear, or this place of like, well, this is comfortable right now. Like, do I really want to leave that? But I don't know what else is out there if I don't take that that step and and try something you know that's going to be a little bit different outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, there's that kind of whole cliched saying about life begins at the edge of your or like one step outside of your comfort zone, but it's actually really true, right? Like, we're as soon as we get out of what's really comfortable and safe, like we start to experience new things. But to your point, you know, I think you do have to be. Um, you have to be discerning and uh, it's really easy to, to get that sense of FOMO, like, oh, well, if I say no to this, like I'm going to miss out on something big. But I, I really believe that, you know, wherever, whatever chapter we're in, whatever place we're in in life is exactly where we're meant to be in that moment. And, you know, we don't, we don't know like how things are going to unfold in front of us. And so if there are certain experiences we're going to have, like we're going to get to have those. We're not going to lose out on stuff by saying no. Um, and so if, if it's just not the right time or if it doesn't, if there's any kind of niggling about like, it doesn't, I'm not sure about this. It's fine. Like, you know, there will be other opportunities. And that's another thing I've learned in life is that in moments where I was like heartbroken that I missed out on something, something else always came along. And so, uh, yeah, there's always always other opportunities. I love that. You're reminding me of, um, of, of when Steve Jobs in his book, and, and I'm, I'm not going to do this justice, but he talks about how every step you take, none of it's going to make any sense until you're at the end looking back and seeing how all the dots connected. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, that was his uh, commencement speech to Stanford. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a great one. Yeah, definitely worth listening to if you haven't listened. I mean, if anybody listening who hasn't listened to it. So. Yeah, one of one of the other things that you mentioned about um, about social connection, I have I have never been been someone growing up. I was I loved being a loner. It was just me and my books and you know my parents and I was set and I was good, but. It really wasn't until I started having those experiences traveling um, and then coming back and, 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 and I, I sort of, um, okay, my first rigorous ser- like session with a psychotherapist, the first thing she told me after interviewing me was, wow, it sounds like you have mastered the you, you've mastered navigating ambiguity. And I was like, wow. Oh, like the ambiguity that comes with uncertainty and unknown and throwing yourself out there. And I was like, you're right. I have <laughs> like, that's my superpower. I'm super great at that. And I, I don't think because I, I'm usually the first one to throw myself into situations where I think that I can help or I could be of service or, you know, it's okay. I can handle the, I, I can handle putting everything, all the emotional, mental, you know, physical stuff on the back burner and just managing. And I think that's why, you know, in, in previous conversations, you and I have talked about um, me possibly getting into some sort of project managing for emergency response. Mm-hmm. And it was that same therapist who was like, hey, you feel like you should maybe put the brakes on pursuing that and maybe sort of develop some other skills <laughs> in the meantime, like saying no and like holding boundaries. And um, that was super helpful because I didn't realize uh, how, how, just how much stress was happening under the surface. Mm-hmm. until um, I'd get quiet until I'd get home and, and I'd get done and I'd get quiet and then and then those things would surface and um, and the social component I didn't realize was was so great until I had traveled to Africa and I had that experience and when I came back it was it was sort of fruitful how it happened um, I, I had realized that I had all these resources around me to help. And that's when I started really mobilizing them to get the foundation up and running. And so when we launched it, we did this week of, it was a week long fundraiser, uh, two hours a night. And we invited um, experts in all these different fields. We had a couple doctors, a psychologist, an astrologist. Um, we, uh, yoga therapist and um, professional performers. We had them all sort of come and offer their resources and tools. And I had so many people walk away from this fundraiser just totally cup filled by the community, you know? And that was my first real like, oh, this is what I've been missing. I was, I had managed to facilitate the event for everyone else, but I had no, and I, the two weeks after that fundraiser, I was like flattened because I did not realize how much of that myself that I needed. Yeah. It was I love so much about what you just said. So that power of community is just incredible. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. The other thing that you said that really struck me, and I think is an important point, is this point around boundaries, right? Sorry, I'm going to have to take a sip of water because my allergies are going nuts. So give me one second. Well, just to reiterate, Alyssa, with that fundraiser, I got to witness you bringing community together, and I knew how much it took to do that. You know, as you know, the idea is allow yourself to be supported you know, having that Lone Ranger part of you, but then also trusting that people could be there for you and then really receiving that. And I think that goes along with what Dibble's been saying about, you know, the power of social connections. And there's something beautiful about the social connections that came through because they were all about being of service of some sort, right? So it wasn't all work oriented because it's about being of service, but that happens to be your work, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it kind of all kind of flowed and I was really proud of you um, to witness you and, and having that show up the way it did. Thank great you. leadership, great leadership skills. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I like I said, it was not I didn't plan to walk away with as much as I did after that event and as much realization of like, I'm so glad I started creating this community for everyone else because it turns out I really need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's I think what's Dimple is saying is that you can't really you can't, you know, as much as you have aspirations and so forth, right? Dimple, it's like when the universe has other plans for you and you need to receive that understanding that there's something else coming through. And if you don't get out of your own way to receive it, yeah. that's when you're gonna really miss out. I think that's partly what you're saying um, as I'm listening to the two of you. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Thank you. And sorry about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, that power of community is just beyond like what we imagine. And, you know, there, and especially when you find the right community, right? And that, and all the pieces just fit together and it, it feels good, it feels nurturing and it feels like it energizes you and lifts you up. And I have no doubt that like you give that back to the community that you're a part of too, you know, just knowing who you are. Um, but what I was gonna say is the other piece of this is really that piece around boundaries. Like I think that you made such an important point there that I think is worth highlighting that, you know, when we go, you know, this idea of saying yes to life, yeah, it's great. But uh, yes, and we do want to maintain boundaries around that because just saying yes to everything is a recipe for burnout, right? It's not a good place to be. Um, but this idea of boundaries, and this is how I actually, um, you know, when I teach uh, workshops around self-care, we talk about self-care is really about boundary setting and it's about boundary holding because uh, you know, people are like, well, tell me how to practice self-care. And it's like, well, everybody's self-care looks different, right? Like what, what makes me feel good and fills my cup is going to be different from what works for you. But the common thread for everybody is the need to create boundaries around our time and energy. Um, and then to actually to be able to enforce those and to hold them, because I think that's where we often like kind of fall off the, like the, the wagon on that is that uh, you know, we'll start out having some boundaries around that. And then these things will keep coming up. We'll be like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And suddenly like we're exhausted and we're depleted, you know? And so I think that that was actually a really beautiful point as well, but I'm so proud of you too. Like, I just want to say that. And you know, what you've created is incredible. And I'm sure that this, this community is just so grateful that you've created the space. So you. I appreciate that. I was actually, um, we're planning our next event and I was, I was like, I just found my first person who hopefully can, you know, do a night on, on self-care and everything and just up oh. the level. Um, but what I love about the current work you're doing is how you are bringing all of this, um, experience into, uh, like revamping the culture in, in the workforce and the environment that you're in, because I can't imagine that that was an easy door, a few easy doors, right. To knock down. And I, I'm, I feel like, um, I've, I've seen, I'm seeing how the areas are overlapping in, in my own life. Um, because I have for work, what I normally uh, am doing most of the time is inserting myself as a component and a team member on other people's teams to support their businesses. And having done that for five years now and worked with a lot of teams, I've seen, I've, I've been able to witness what has worked and, and what hasn't worked. And so this conversation around community and leadership and self-care and boundaries um, is just so important in what we are doing nine to five, you know, five days a week. And so I'm, I'm super passionate about how, how just how, how we might explore doing, doing more of that because it's, it's so needed in the work environment. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think, uh, it's not easy to facilitate change from within. Um, it's definitely a challenge because there's a lot of feeling like, well, we've always done things this way. Um, and so trying to get people to see like, well, yeah, but maybe there's a better way, you know? Um, but one thing that really, you know, for me, when I think about this, you know, like what kind of workplace I want to be a part of, 
um, in the leadership program that I started in Daring Leaders, you know, one of the first things I said to the group was, uh, we are all whole human beings. And there's such a sense that we need to be able to walk into our workplaces and compartmentalize ourselves be to, in order to be professional, right? Like I have to be like one certain way to show up as a professional and I'm gonna hide away all this other part of me. It's not realistic, it's not sustainable. And this is why we have so much um, organizational trauma is because people can't <clears throat> be themselves. And so part of this is, you know, so what I say to people all the time, what I say to leaders when I coach them or in these leadership programs is that we are all whole human beings. We do not leave a piece of ourselves at the door when we come into work, no matter how, how hard we try. And especially now with the pandemic and the, the lines between home and work are blurring so much that, I mean, you can't separate the two, right? I mean, it's, it's really, really difficult. And we may try to think that we, you know, we, we're compartmentalizing really well, but we're not. And the reality is that if we're having issues outside of work, those are coming in with us um, and impacting our performance, impacting our focus, impacting our connection to others um, and vice versa, right? So especially in the line of work that um, I've been in all these years, if I had a particularly difficult case, it's probably gonna come home with me and it's probably gonna sit with me and impact me and impact my choices and everything else. And so the more that we can start to recognize that we work, <coughs> excuse me, with other human beings and being able to really see the humanity in each other, because if we can see the humanity in each other, um, you know, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, and start to recognize that, you know, we're, we're working with people who have flaws and who are not perfect and, um, but who probably are trying their best, right? In a given situation. I always say like, nobody wakes up in the morning and stretches and says, today I'm gonna go out into the work and be mediocre. You know, like we don't do that. Like we, we genuinely want to show up as our best, but my best may be different from your best. And my best may change from day to day or hour to hour. And so being able to kind of just remember um, and I feel like in this day and age, like things are so polarized and we don't see each other as human beings. We don't see that humanity right now. And so I think there's a real opportunity there to start seeing more of that and start connecting on that level again. And that's where I think we'll start seeing the shift even in organizations is as soon as we can start to recognize that the people who we're working with are, um, you know, like what they're bringing and getting to know each other on that personal level, will create that, create that sense of connection so that when things get difficult, people don't feel isolated. They feel like they have a community, right? They have that community they can tap into um, and be a part of, so. Yeah, I love that. What a beautiful core value that is to hold. And um, I, just so much, it, it just, it holds the ground for so much um, compassion and empathy and grace to flow from it as, as a team. And some of the most successful teams and communities I've been a part of um, you know, they're the ones we check in with on Monday and Friday. And it's like, how are you? Like, how are you actually though? Cause I really care to know. And, um, you know, we can't separate all the parts of our lives that make us our, our whole human. So I love that so much. You guys, this is so up my alley, the whole holistic approach to life, you know, or it's not, we're not human doings we're human beings, right? Exactly. And the whole idea is when you can be you, and then choose what you do so you can have your authentic life. It's just our systems aren't all set up to recognize that, but we're in the midst of huge change. And I'm so grateful that today, um, my guest is Dibble Dahlia and Alyssa Cohello. And what a jam-packed conversation just filled with so much wisdom. I'm wondering, Dimple, um, what are you taking away from this conversation with Alyssa today? Is there anything that's affirmed, affirmed, enlightened, or empowered you to something for you that's a gift that you weren't expecting? There's always so much. I, I love my conversations with Alyssa anytime. Um, you know, but I feel like she's just such a, like the epitome of this new generation that's coming up. And it gives me so much hope um, because, and that's my, my biggest takeaway is that you know, especially the last few years have felt so dark and so difficult. Um, and I see people like Alyssa out there in the world, like really making an impact. Um, 
and, and showing up, you know, showing up to do the work and showing up to like really uh, want to change things. And that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, it makes me feel good about the, the direction that we're heading into the future, so. Beautiful. So Alyssa, what are you taking away from this conversation today? I could see yeah. you lit up mostly. Yeah, that's hilarious because my exact same takeaway is hope too, because I, I feel like having heard your journey and um, and seen how you are so successfully implementing systemic change in the culture and of, of your work environment is just, it's so inspiring and it makes me really believe that that's possible. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, holding the space for you today, it's like the, I would think that anyone that's listening to this, what I'm taking away is the recognition of if we're gonna really bring our true selves to our lives, We've got to really, you know, this idea about mindfulness and self-care. I mean, these are really um, trendy words right now. But in a way, to really, what I'm getting from you, Dimple and Alyssa, it's about being open to the adventure and almost like recognizing that sometimes when a door closes, something else is opening. And to recognize that instead of seeing it like a failure and judging ourselves, it's almost like, well, wait a second, we're in the midst of huge change. And if we're building communities that are about orchestrating change, then how do we be that if we're not being that first with ourselves, right? Then with each other. And then that authenticity, what I hear, Dimple, is what has allowed you to put the human back into humanitarian. Because too many people sacrifice all of who they are. You know, they sacrifice themselves for their driven vision and mission. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, they're left empty. And they can't really live their legacy if they've depleted themselves. So exactly. Lisa gets that already at such an early age. And like you said, this young generation is really the leaders that we ought to be listening to, which brings us to why we're here today. <laughs> I'm just wondering, Dippa, where would you lead people to go to find out more information about your programs? Um, so I have a website. Um, it's uh, rootsinthecloud.com. So uh, hopefully we'll have a link somewhere that'll yes, have that in there. Um, yeah, and that really kind of highlights a lot of what we're doing right now. Um, again, really focusing a lot on organizational trauma, um, really moving beyond diversity and inclusion to create spaces of belonging um, and just wanting to, you know, get people to start seeing the humanity in each other. It's beautiful. And Alyssa, where would you ask people want to know about your foundation, where would you direct them? Uh, to lionheartcreations.org. Uh, okay. Lionheartcreations.org. And uh, we're on all media platforms as Lionheart Creations Foundation. Beautiful. Well, we've got Roots in the Cloud and we've got Lionheart Creations Foundation. And we've been today with Dimple Dabalia and Alyssa Kohalo. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today. I don't know about you, but I'm leaving inspired and looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and will join us for the next Bridging the Potential podcast. If you're interested in what we're doing here at Living the Potential Network, please visit our website, www.livingthepotential.com and check out the first two chapters of Renee Best's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. Till next time.